Loving God, we thank you for calling us into your presence. And we pray that by your word and Holy Spirit, we might see and understand who you are and the grace and love that you pour out in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So we're continuing in our journey. Lord, teach us to pray. And we're, of course, looking at the way Jesus responded to his disciples when they asked him to pray. But we're doing it from the perspective of asking God to teach us how to pray. And we're expecting that together as a community of faith, we're going to be growing in our prayer and in our sense of intimacy with God and one another. And so today we look at forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, you all have probably figured out, I don't particularly care for the contemporary version of the Lord's Prayer, which would say, forgive us our debts, rather than forgive us our trespasses. But that's not to say that it is not clear that when we sin, it creates debt. In fact, a debt that we cannot repay. But we're going to look at it from the perspective of trespasses. This, this warning that we often see on signs, don't go here, don't, don't pass this point. This is not a place you belong. And so here's an interesting definition that I was kind of convicted by. To pass over a boundary is to trespass. To go beyond one's right in place or act, to injure another, to do that which annoys or inconveniences another, any violation of law, civil or moral. Now, I'm wondering if you've ever been encountered by a person who maybe has a little different sense of personal space than you and they step a little too close. And so you kind of lean back or step back. I mean, it's uncomfortable when people get in your space. Now, quite frankly, I don't think I do that very often. Uh, however, I have been guilty, as many of you may know, of speaking a little too loud for the amount of space that is between us. In, in fact, one of my motivations for getting the hearing aids uh, early last year, or, or earlier last year, uh, was, was hoping that, that the hearing aid would help me to lower my voice a little bit. I've never been accused of, of not being heard, but I have sometimes been occur, accused of not being listened to, because it's just a little too harsh. But, but let's, let's just be mindful of, of the, the infraction of what it means to come together. Now, I also want to acknowledge something else about when we, we ask for forgiveness, we're acknowledging that we've sinned. You don't, you don't ask for forgiveness unless you understand that there's something you need to be forgiven for. And so let's just be clear about that, that when we pray in the Lord's Prayer and ask for forgiveness, we do so with an acknowledgement that we need to be forgiven. 
But I was convicted by something this week as I was preparing. And I noticed uh, that, that Joe, neither of us, uh, as we've been on this journey, have really acknowledged the reality that Jesus taught the Lord's prayer in plural. Our Father, not my Father. And so I came across this thing, and I want to I read it for you. It's a little long, but bear with me. Not long ago, I took it upon myself to edit the words of the Lord's Prayer. That's right, I rewrote the prayer written by Jesus himself. It wasn't a complete rewrite, mind you. Uh, but I decided to change the pronouns. I decided the prayer would work better for me with singular rather than plural pronouns. For instance, our Father who art in heaven becomes my Father who art in heaven. Likewise, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us became forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass, so on. She writes, the funny thing was is I couldn't do it. Every time I tried to pray my new individualized version of the Lord's Prayer, I tripped over the words. Suddenly the lines I've known by heart for decades refused to flow. My mind went blank and I forgot whole sentences of the prayer I'd been praying since second grade. Without the familiar programs in their rightful places, the prayer didn't work. Now, there's a reason for this, of course. The fact that the repetition of the same 70 words traveling the same neural pathway day in and day out over decades of recitation had firmly etched the Lord's Prayer in my mind. Old habits die hard. That said, though, I began to consider the question, why did Jesus teach his disciples to the Lord's Prayer in plural? Maybe, maybe the plural pronouns were a mistake. Maybe Jesus taught his disciples and us to pray the Lord's Prayer in plural voice because our lives here on earth aren't just about us. Or that is, it's not just about me. It is in fact about us, us together. Perhaps community is an integral component of faith. Jesus knew that we need one another and that we belong together. When I pray the Lord's Prayer both alone and with others in worship, we are reminded that one's relationship with God extends beyond self. We are reminded that all of us together are Christ's body. I am forgiven and I forgive another. But, she writes, truth be told, I like my singular voiced version of the Lord's Prayer better most days. I'd rather it be all about me. Living in community isn't easy. Co-workers vote for the candidate we don't like. Neighbors think Creepy Charlie is a fine substitute for actual grass. Family members leave their dirty socks on the living room floor. Our friends hurt us and loved ones betray us. I don't necessarily want to share my daily bread. I don't necessarily want to forgive. I don't necessarily want to see the other side of the argument. She writes, this may be why I need Jesus' version. 
rather than my own version of the Lord's Prayer. I need to be reminded again and again and again as I pray these familiar words that it's not just about me. It is about us. Martin Luther, in the small catechism, continues to guide us through the Lord's Prayer. And so for this petition, he asks this question, what does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Heavenly Father would not hold our sins against us and deny our prayers because of them. We know we have not earned nor do we deserve those things for which we pray. But we ask that he would grant us all things through grace, even though we sin every day, these are tough words, and deserve nothing but punishment. We don't come to God with the right to make a demand that God do something, but we do come to God knowing that he loves us, knowing that it is indeed God's desire to forgive us, not that we deserve it. So we understand that by grace we are saved through faith. That this extension isn't based on what we do or deserve, but is based on what God has done and offered to us in Jesus, who is our everything. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. But then, Luther continues in the small catechism, and so we too will heartily forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Now, I wanted to say this morning, and I was, I was getting ready, even last night as I was finishing the touches on this, I was looking at the sermon I was saying, and I wanted to say, you know, sometimes when we pray the Lord, forgive us the, our debts as we forgive those you know, who are indebted. For you. It's like, wait a minute, I don't really want God to forgive me as I've forgiven others. I would rather God forgive me according to his forgiveness. And so I was going to say, you know, it's really not about uh, uh, how we forgive others. And then I read the gospel again. These are tough words. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Now, I want you to notice that the debt of the first person was way beyond anything anybody could ever pay back. And yet, the debt of the person that owed that person money was fairly easily earned and paid back. And so as the question of what we do comes up, and hear this, in anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And by the way, I, I, I want to just point out the fact that this is a story and, and this is the master. The only problem is, as I was trying to dismiss this, I read the next line. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And I went, oh no. 
But I do believe that if you read this text and understand that the scripture says, if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven, that you're not reading what it really says. Hang with me here for a minute. God transforms us by his grace. The forgiveness that we're given, that, that huge, enormous debt of all the ways we have trespassed against God is huge compared to the little things that we do to one another, even when those little things are big. But God doesn't forgive us because we forgive others. God forgives us, makes us right, reconnects with us, and the transforming power of that grace works in our hearts and lives in order that we can forgive others. There's a transformational expectation of grace and forgiveness that empowers grace to be poured out in our community and in our lives. Now you may say, yeah, pastor, but as soon as you were reading that, I was thinking of this one person that, quite frankly, I don't want to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. And a matter of fact, some of you might be saying, and if you tell me I have to forgive them, I'm out of here. And I would say, well, then you, there is a problem there. But what do we do about that? What do you do about the person in your life who's betrayed you, has hurt you, has sinned against you, and they're just wrong? Will you ask God, your loving Savior, by his grace to transform your heart? You, you, you ask God by his power to enable that to happen in your life. And oh, by the way, do you remember that this is a plural prayer? Do you remember that this isn't just about us? It's about us. In a few minutes, you're going to be invited forward to receive Holy Communion. It's a place where we're said, this is the body, this is the blood of Christ given for you so that you can experience grace and transformation, forgiveness of your sins. But it's also a place where we gather at the table, where the transforming power of the blood of Jesus sets our community right with God and one another where we experience forgiveness as the people of God in this place. Listen to this reading from Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now we were looking at the plural and singular. Now let's look at the past and present. Forgiving each other, being kind and compassionate to each other. How does that happen? It happens because in Christ, God forgave you. His work precedes our work. What we do flows out of what he has done. 
And quite frankly, one of the hardest parts about forgiveness is not necessarily acknowledging that we need to be forgiven. That is, it, it isn't necessarily that I have a hard time recognizing that I'm a sinner. Matter of fact, that's pretty easy. The hard part is receiving the forgiveness from God so powerfully that we're enabled to forgive ourselves. Amen? You see, sometimes our theology is good enough. Sorry, my microphone is doing weird things. Sometimes our theology is strong. We understand Jesus died, and because Jesus died for me, I am forgiven. But we have a much harder time when we look in the mirror, forgiving ourselves. And I'll tell you, it's going to be much harder to forgive others when we haven't allowed that transforming grace to extend into our own forgiveness for ourselves. But just as asking for forgiveness means I'm acknowledging that I need forgiveness, forgiving others also means acknowledging that they need forgiveness. Forgiving others, by the way, is not tolerance. Forgiving others is not, it's okay, it doesn't matter, or it's okay, you live your truth. And so there's a hard ask here for us because we would really prefer in community to just let things go. We, we like to say, you know, just don't, I just won't bother you with that. But in order for me to forgive you, I have to acknowledge that you've, hurt me. You've gone out of bounds. You need forgiveness, and that's hard. And this is the way people will react. And so we'd, we'd, we'd rather not go there, right? I mean, what if, what if the person who hurt you doesn't even know that they did it? I mean, wouldn't it be better just to not make waves? You think so, wouldn't you? But the absence of forgiveness also means the absence of reconciliation. And a part of the reason that we're talking about this is because God desires that reconciliation to be at work in our lives. We're told in Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Personally, I'd like to twist that so that I could understand that to mean just ignore their sin. So I could cause that to mean something other than the fact that I'm going to speak the truth in love so that we can be reconciled in our relationship. A part of the plural language of this is the reality of corporate sin. The reality that the sin in my life isn't just mine, but we sometimes sin. We 
sometimes act in ways that encourage us to keep acting in those ways. By doing things like the way I was raised, which was, if you don't have anything nice to say, is that a Christian? uh, Bert, do you know where that is? Hezekiah 3.16? Yeah, there's no book of Hezekiah in the Bible, for those of you who might miss that. In fact, we are asked to be ministers of reconciliation. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 5. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, we, we speak the truth in love rooted in that grace that we have received and rooted in that grace and love we know God has for those who have sinned against us. We do it with the same motivation that God does. He convicts us of our sin because he desires to forgive and reconcile us. And so the hard word in this praying is that we will recognize that the Holy Spirit will sometimes convict us that when we leave that prayer, we need to go and make ourselves right. We need to go and admit those whom we've hurt, and we need to go to those who've hurt us with a word of forgiveness and love, but an acknowledgement that some pain has happened so that we can experience healing together. That plural reality is the fact that God is at work in this community. What an amazing thing for us at St. Timothy's to be a community of grace and love, not simply tolerance and letting things go, but nurturing the faith and love and grace that transforms our lives, transforms our community, and shines the light of Christ to the world. How many times have you heard from those outside the church that the church is just a bunch of hypocrites? Sometimes they say that because they see the church as judgmental. Sometimes they say that because they see the church as tolerant. Speaking the truth in love, rooted in the blood of Jesus is in fact our witness to the world for how they too can experience the reconciliation of God's grace and love. Forgive us our trespasses, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, that the grace and love of Jesus would be extended in us and through us to one another and the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.